Welcome back for part three of our series, Our Church. Do you know how when your kid does something good, um, like, you know, they're getting good grades in school or they're just doing something kind around uh, the house um, or maybe, you know, they, they pull off a great maneuver in a game of sports. You're like, honey, isn't our kid wonderful? But on the other hand, when, when your kid is being naughty, um, say they're getting in trouble, being disobedient, maybe failing something at school or just not being responsible, you're like, Honey, what's the matter with your kid? So when our kids do something good, it's all about our kid. But when they're being bad, it's, it's definitely your kid. Do we ever do the same thing with our church? Do we? We do, don't we? Sometimes it's our church, right? Sometimes it's our church. Hey, you gotta, you, you got to come check out our church's soccer camp. You have to check out our church's Advent by Candlelight. Our church has great people. Worship is awesome at our church. Our church has all these Bible studies. Then other times, it's your church, right? Well, you know, your church still worshiping in a gym. Why again does your church only commune certain people, members? Why, Why doesn't your church do more for teen ministry? Your church has all these Bible studies. Sometimes it's our church and sometimes it's your church. Listen, let's take ownership of it all. Let's take ownership of it all. It's time for your church to become our church. And yes, our church studies. That's going to be Part three today, our church studies. We're talking about the five parts of our mission statement, how our church worships, how our church serves, our church studies, our church evangelizes or witnesses the message, and finally, our church has fellowship. Our church encourages one another. Today is our church studies. We do have a lot of Bible studies here at Cross of Life. We have a lot of Bible studies. Why do we have so many Bible studies? Why are Kevin and Pastor and others always coming to us and trying to sign us up for a Bible study? It seems like there's a lot of Bible studies. I mean, how much learning can you do? How much learning can we do? But learning's a good thing, isn't it? Learning is a good thing. And if we can just be honest... We could agree most people like learning today. We're, we're living in a world where, where learning is, is, in a sense, very popular. There are so many ways you can learn so many new things. Um, and people are learning uh, skills. You, you can learn carpentry. You can learn various home improvement things, skills to, do, to build things and improve things in your homes. Um, technology-wise, computer-wise, you can learn how to do new really cool tasks on computers or learn to use new softwares, uh, graphic designing, been uh, learning and helping people learn graphic design this week. Um, and it's fa- that's fascinating to me and it's fascinating watching others learn and teach me um, new things you can do with computers and graphic design. Um, music, we can learn 
Not only can you sing, you can learn instruments with a lot of practice. You can learn the piano. Um, got to go to Don's last piano recital last night and see just some kids who are now almost fully grown, you know, adults who started off little kids who couldn't play a note, now playing just some amazing songs, um, learning a skill like that, learning piano. A lot of people are hitting the website Duolingo. You can learn to speak a new language. Um, my son came home from school, Elijah came home, and he had gone online, and he had learned, I'm so jealous, he had learned how to solve a Rubik's Cube um, just by learning online. Now he can do it in under two minutes every time. Um, I, I, I have no clue how something like that is possible, but you can learn things, and we like learning skills, learning things to do. Um, there Also, people are reading a lot of self-improvement books, marriage betterment, um, anger management, negotiating skills, um, money management, investing skills, you name it. You can learn things through self-improvement books people are reading. So we like to learn, right? Don't we like to learn things? We like to get better at things, don't we? Of course we do. And sometimes oftentimes, we tend to develop some very strong convictions about the things that we like to learn and about the things that we get into and the things that we just get, you know, just consumed with, learning. But we just have to admit something today. Um, Some things are just more important than others, or as Vicar would say, some things are more importanter than others. So if we can spend large chunks of time learning things and learning skills that maybe we can only use for temporary periods of time, that, that maybe, you know, that maybe the use of which kind of just fades out after a while, or um, things that maybe aren't even that useful or aren't even that beneficial, or even things that aren't even positive. If we can spend large chunks of time learning things like that, Can't we spend good time learning something that is always good? Learning something that lasts forever. The background of our text today begins with the story of a young man named Timothy. A young man named Timothy grew up in a town called Lystra. Timothy had a Greek father and a Jewish mother. So a true mixed marriage. And Timothy's Greek father would not allow him to become circumcised, so his father did not support him in his faith life. But Timothy's mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois, blessed him. They, they, he was blessed by them. They nurtured him spiritually as well as physically. They nurtured him spiritually. They, as Jewish women, had become believers in Jesus, and they passed that faith down to Timothy. From the time he was an infant, they taught him the scriptures, and they showed him Jesus. And the word of God convinced Timothy that Jesus was his Savior. He learned the scriptures. They made him wise for salvation, and they gave him some strong convictions. And on top of that, his learning of the scriptures gave him all that he would need to equip him to minister, to equip him to serve God. And he ended up becoming one of Paul's, the Apostle Paul's fellow missionaries, sharing the gospel with people and teaching 
those same scriptures to others. So in the second letter to Timothy, Paul writes to him, So this is Paul writing a letter to Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. Because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. It is important to stand by your convictions. You guys got that? That means continue in what you've learned. Do you all have that? Continue in what you have learned. Stand by those convictions. That means standing by the convictions that come from Scripture means that you might have to let go of some deeply and longly, long um, cherished convictions. Convictions that don't match up with God's will for you. Convictions that don't match up with God's true word. Think about Martin Luther. If you know anything about Martin Luther, think of how many he had to give up. He had to give up many long-cherished convictions because, that he was extremely convinced of about the truth of God. Why? Why did he have to give those convictions up? Because they came into conflict with the Scriptures. In the end, they came into conflict with the word of God. And, and what we can learn about this is not all learning is reliable. We like to learn. We can go out and learn anything out there. But not all learning is reliable. And not all teachers are reliable. So point number one for today is this. What makes learning reliable is when it comes from Scripture. Not all learning is reliable. Not all learning helps direct us toward God. Not all learning directs us toward God. There's plenty of learning that can take us straight away from God. And not all teachers are reliable. Not every mother and grandmother is a reliable teacher. And even though Timothy's grandmother and mother were reliable teachers, that is not what made Timothy's learning reliable. What made young Timothy's early learning reliable is that it came from the Holy Scriptures. That's why it was reliable. The Scriptures have the power in themselves to make you alive. The scriptures have the power in themselves to give us salvation. The scriptures have the power to bring an infant to faith in Jesus. The scriptures have the power to make you wise for salvation. What does that mean? Well, in Proverbs we hear that the the wisdom is... The beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. In other words, faith. So what is wisdom? Faith. Faith in the Lord. Faith in Jesus. So when the scriptures can make you wise for salvation, the scriptures are able to give you faith in Jesus as your Savior. The scriptures have the power to make you wise for salvation. So don't you think it's important that our church learns them? Don't you think it's important that our church studies them? A couple times in the last um, two years, I've had the opportunity to go snorkeling, and I love it. You see some amazing things down there in God's creation, Uh, but I'm a beginner snorkeler. 
not a strong swimmer. So I have to work at it. And sometimes it gets hard when there's a current. And um, a couple years ago, we were out on the coast of Hawaii, and there, we were in a, a rather strong current out there. And so you would be kind of trying really hard, and I was trying hard and kind of exhausting myself to, you know, to see all these things. But you're working at it. You're, 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 you're trying hard. You're getting tired. And I was certain I knew exactly where I was. You're seeing things underwater, but in relation to, let's say, where my wife was and where the shore was, I was convinced that I knew where I was until I would pop up my head and open up the goggles and realize I was completely someplace else. That current takes you places you don't even know you're going. And so really, I needed to be like tethered to a spot or anchored to a spot, centered to a certain spot to really be able to know where I was. And I think I think that's a good illustration for life. I think life is the same way, right? We, we, we try so hard. We exhaust ourselves working hard to make life work. And we think we know exactly where we are. But, but the truth so often in life is we are someplace completely else. We need to be centered on God. But on our own, we can't center ourselves on God. God's word centers us on Jesus. The scriptures center us on God. God's word centers us on Jesus, and the people that we study God's word together with help center us, anchor us, tether us on God, and on, most specifically on his son Jesus, which our life is based on. Because there's a problem in the world we live in, and that problem is uh, th- this world is filled with people, and, and we've been there, and we maybe are there, whose lives are not centered on God. Even maybe they want to be, but they're not centered on God. Just, just look, at, look at the evidence, watch the news, um, take a, be, be observant of the culture around you. Um, the, the terrorism, violence, all those things happen. Look at what's being, going on in, in our schools, um, marriages, families. Um, look at just the dark things going on in people's lives or people who um, have just become overwhelmed with life or their life are just completely out of control. Why? Because they're not centered on God. They're not centered on Jesus. We need to be centered on God. And the scriptures, that's our second point, the scriptures center us on God. This is why we need to be studying them. This is why we need to be in the Word because without being centered on God, we can drift anywhere in this world around us. We can think we know where we are. We can think we're on the right path. We can think that we have everything together, but we may be far away from that. Until you get to the Scriptures, if we're in the Scriptures, you you just can't go very far because this tells you exactly who God is and who you are and where you are. The Scriptures center us on God. Let's look at the last two verses of our text, verses 16 and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God or the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's divine. It's holy. It came from 
God, not from human beings. And so therefore, it is the only thing that can center us on God. And all scripture is useful because the world we live in throws all kinds of things in our ways to distract us, to sidetrack us, to take us away from God. The Bible alone centers us on God as it teaches, rebukes, corrects, and trains us. So let's look at those concepts. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. First of all, the Bible teaches us. From the Bible, we learn who God is and what he's done for us. The Bible points us to Jesus as our Savior. It was written so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, have life in his name. And when Jesus sent us out to witness in his name, he sent us out to baptize, and he sent us out to teach everything I have commanded you. The Bible teaches us who God is and what he's done. It points us to Jesus. And then rebuking. Rebuking. That's convicting the erring of error. All right? Rebuking is exposing sin. I want you to think of an MRI machine. I don't know if you've ever had an MRI done. But an MRI takes a picture of you inside, and it shows maybe things that shouldn't be there like tumors. So an, an MRI will expose problems that in your body that you need to be aware of and that you need to deal with. It doesn't lie. You, you can pretend, if it's showing a tumor, you can pretend that's not there, but it doesn't mean it's not there. You need to do something about it. God's word is like that, as the law convicts us of sin and shows us the problem that we have inside our souls. It doesn't lie. We can pretend. We can pretend that problem is not here, but that doesn't change the fact that it is there and that something needs to be done about it. We, we love to, in our world, in our cultural day, we love, to, we love to redefine what sin is. Well, sin isn't really that. It's kind of like this. And um, I mean, just think about it in the world today. Think about like life and abortion issues or think about, you know, quality of life. Think about uh, sexuality and gender issues. We love redefining sin um, in ways that just suit us. But only God, only God determines what sin is. God is the one that created this world. God is the one who designed how things work and set in motion how things work. Only God is the one who can show us what life is. And God doesn't give us a bunch of rules just to, you know, give us like a bunch of rules to follow, to obey. God gives us, God shows us how life works because God wants us to have a full life because he loves us. His law is great. But God is the one who determines how that works because he made it. And only he can do that. And his word, his word exposes sin like an MRI. And this is why we need Christians around us to rebuke us. I can't just be off on my own. I need people around me to get in my face when I'm wrong. I need Christians around me to rebuke me. You need Christians around you to rebuke you, to show you how far off you are when you are living a certain way that you think is right, but you actually are nowhere near where you think you are. So the word rebukes us, and Christians who help bring that to us, uh, rebuke us, and that's, that's why that is so valuable. It corrects us. Correcting. Correcting is uh, setting one right again, putting, getting someone on track again. So it's, it's uh, restoring someone who's falling and getting them back on track again. So this is using law and gospel, like Jamar's presentation was showing us. Law and gospel. So um, this, is, this is leading people to repentance 
for our sin, but then sharing them the good news of forgiveness through Jesus, assuring them of that forgiveness. So law and gospel, encouraging and re-encouraging, okay? Um, the scriptures not only center us on God, they re-center us on God. And then we have training. The scriptures then guide us how to live the kind of life that says thank you to God. This is daily, constant discipline and training, encouragement, re-encouragement, daily, regularly. This is, this is the word lighting the path for us. Now, I want to serve God. I want to thank him. How do I do it? And the word lights the path. It shows me how. And it is all that you need. It's all you need. It makes sure that you, as the follower of Jesus, are thoroughly equipped. And that's our third point. The scriptures are all you need. Okay? They bring you to faith in Jesus. They assure you of forgiveness and life through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. They teach you how to say thank you. And they are the only reliable thing that can do this. They center you on God, and they are the only reliable thing that can do that. So, our church studies, okay? Faithful, ordinary Bible study. Faithful, ordinary Bible study. It might not be exciting at times. Okay, it doesn't mean that every time you open up your Bible, you're going to have a revelation. It, it doesn't mean that every time you walk away from your small group Bible study, um, you aren't just blown away, absolutely astounded beyond belief about what you learned that night. It doesn't mean that every time you open your Bible, an angel is going to appear to you in the living room. Most of the beautiful, profound things that God is going to do in your life are going to take place over a long period of time through a lot of ordinary. I want you to get that down. Most of the beautiful, profound things that God is going to do in your life are going to take place over a long period of time through a lot of ordinary. This water bottle was put here this morning by Marguerite. She's been putting it here for 18 years. And I don't even know really how she affords it because I don't think, I'm not sure she's had employment for all 18 of those years but here it is every morning, every Sunday morning. And here she is, every Sunday morning, putting the water bottle here, taking worship attendance, helping count the offerings. She'll be in the ministry center throughout the week, doing some more, um, following up with numbers and statistics and administrative work. She'll be folding, stapling, cutting, She'll be visiting anyone who's in the hospital, nursing home. She'll help anyone who needs help. Marguerite's had a lot of, um, she's had some highs in life. She's had some lows in life, lots of lows. And I'm, I'm not sure if an angel has ever visited her, but she's had a lot of ordinary. But here she is, week after week. And... Um, Sometimes uh, she loves worship. Sometimes she loves my sermons. Sometimes not so much. This might be one of those. But yet, she's right there in that seat every week. Every week. And it's, 
when, when I look at her, I just think of, it's just a lot of faithful, ordinary every week. But here's the thing. I don't know if I know anyone with a stronger faith in Jesus. Because the thing is, not if, but when, when her car breaks down, she is going to be phoning people, wondering who is going to be picking her up for church. And if there's no possible way for that to happen, she's going to be phoning people, wondering who's going to be putting the water bottle up there, who's going to be doing the counting, who's going to count the offering, um, is the sermon going to get recorded, um, is someone going to be getting me the sheet from the Bible study? How does faith become that strong? Uh, Marguerite, when I met her 18 years ago, um, I mean, really, I would say she's just, she was an average Christian. Marguerite's not an average person. She's an extremely unique, wonderful person. I'm just saying she was an average Christian, and here's, here's my proof. Um, when we'd be out there in the, in the entryway, when we were back in the, way back in the days when we were tiny, she would lean over to me and whisper, hey, Pastor, who's that person over there? And I would lean over and whisper to her, Marguerite, there's like three people in this room. Why don't you ask them? So Marguerite was an average Christian person when I met her, um, and not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. As far as I know, God has never sent an angel to visit her or um, given her a vision of heaven. So how does faith get that strong? Two words. Bible study. Bible study. Marguerite attends every Bible study, I think, humanly possible. Back in the day, it was Sunday morning Bible study. Of course, she was there at Sunday morning Bible study. Um, 17 years ago, Dawn started teaching women's Bible study. Marguerite was there, and she still is. Then she took our Bible instruction course, Growing in Hope. And then um, sometime later, we started small group Bible studies. You know those. We've been talking about those all the time, which is the same Bible study on various nights of the week at various different places. So the same Bible study. She goes to all of those that she can. Then Marguerite took Growing in Hope, our Bible instruction course, again. And then she took it again. And if she ever misses one, she makes sure that I get her the sheet, even if it's already one she has already had. Now, I'm not sure if she remembers any mind-blowing fact from any of those Bible studies. But the point is, it's all just part of a regular, faithful pattern of being in the Word. That's how it works. It's not like one mind-blowing it's regular, faithful, ordinary habit and pattern and lifestyle of being in the Word. And if you want to meet someone with a strong faith, you've got to get to know this woman. That's how the Word works. So don't start out tomorrow morning. Get your coffee and you're going to have your Bible study. Don't don't start tomorrow morning opening that Bible up just hoping to be wowed, hoping to be blown away by every word you read. Right now in my Bible reading, I'm reading through First Chronicles. Okay, that's where it's like, and the tribe of Asher has 34,256 people, and here are their names. All right, 
You might not want to start there. You don't expect to be blown away by, wow. But as you read all of that together over a long period of years, it does give you more and more understanding as to God's whole revelation and his whole plan. So it's not about what you can get out of it in five minutes. It's about what you get out of it in a lifetime. That's how the word works. Um, Just let studying the scriptures be a regular, faithful, ordinary part of your life from here on out. All right? Um, Let's say, let's say, um, don't, don't check back to see how strong your faith has grown a week from now or a month from now. All right? Check back to see how strong your faith has grown a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now. If you have, let's say you, let's say you struggle with um, guilt or you struggle with selfishness or you struggle with doubt, one week of Bible study might not be enough to completely deal with that. But watch what happens after many faithful years of Bible study. Watch what happens when many faithful years of Bible study assure you of forgiveness for those things and give you the strength to deal with those kind of things, give you a different way to view life and what comes at you. Faithful years of Bible study. Are you listening, boys, right? Okay, beginning. This is the beginning, right? Faithful years on and on. So, you know, maybe some of you are hoping for something um, amazing and explosive to happen like Pentecost Day, right? Holy Spirit, 3,000 people coming to faith. Um, can I encourage you? You want to know what's an amazing explosive? The fact that you got up this morning and help, got helped get your family here to church. That's amazing. The, the fact that, that you do take opportunities to be studiers of the word, that's amazing. That's explosive, and that will benefit you. If we could be honest, we could just be honest right now. Most people think that Bible study is boring. Oh, you'd never say that. You'd definitely never say it to me, right? You won't say those words, but we've all thought them, haven't we? Because there's sometimes that study is boring. That word, study, can be boring. And maybe sometimes Bible study is boring. Because it certainly can't compete with the entertainment value of all the things that flood into our lives now, can it? All right? Sometimes Bible study might not be compelling as the time you spend with Facebook or Snapchat or YouTube. And besides, there are just so many TV shows that we just have to binge watch now, right? I mean, we're hopelessly behind on, on, on backlog episodes of 24 and CSI and AGT and Dancing with the Stars. And somehow, we're going to catch up on all those. And now the Stanley Cup Finals are on. There goes hours and hours and hours. There are so many things that compete with our time for studying the Word. But if you want to see the power of God in your life, if we want to see the power of God in the life of our church, we must be people who are marked by the study of Scripture. We must be people who are spending good time studying the Word of God. Not your church studies, our church studies. And let's watch what happens when we do. Let's watch what happens when we do. We get assured. We get assured of God's love for us. 
right? When, when, when we study the word, we, we get into that topic Seth's video was directing us toward God's love. And, and we get assured that we have a God that loves us in spite of the fact that we failed so much, in spite of the fact that we haven't shown any regard for his word and we've made all kinds of things more important. This God loves us anyway, and he proved it with the life of his son. And I, every day I need, to, I need to be, the reason I open that Bible up every morning is because I need to be reassured of forgiveness. And, and, and as we become people of the word, we get, that, we get that reminder, that assurance, that comfort every day that we have a God who forgive us through what Jesus did for us. So we get assured with the gospel. And then as we continue, our faith gets strengthened, right? We get strengthened in our faith, all of us. Can you imagine if all of us are studying constantly? We're going to take Marguerite, multiply that times a few hundred. All of us with strong faith marching forward. <laughs> imagine what God can do with that. So, Confirmants, you four. Today is a beginning for you. Today is a doorway for you. Keep on growing. Promise me that. Keep on growing. If you're not, if I, if I hear you're not in Bible study this fall, I'm going to come back up here personally and rough you up. <laughs> well, like theoretically. Keep on growing in the word. Lifetime. Start now. You're young. You get to start now. Keep on growing. All of you, all of you, go back and sign up for a Bible study today. Decide today that you are going to be in the Word, that this is going to be a pattern in your life, alone and together with people. Cross of life, all of you. I get, I get one more chance with you in two weeks, but I don't know if there's any more important, word, more important words that I could leave you with than these words from Second Peter, which I actually were the same words that I left the congregation I vickered at with, but grow. And that word is present. So continue to grow. Continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding keep our hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.